Welcome to the Pro Basketball Talk podcast. I'm Dan Feldman. I'm very glad today to be joined by Cassie Scarfone. Uh, Cassie is an infection preventionist. She has a master's in epidemiology from the University of Michigan School of Public Health. Uh, she's a registered nurse in critical care. And uh, our significant others, our coworkers, we uh, got to talking at a bar not that long ago, and I think really relevant for these purposes. Uh, Cassie was nice enough to let me pepper her with a ton of inane questions about COVID, uh, answered them very clearly in a way that even I could understand. Uh, so I couldn't think of anybody better to talk to about everything going on in the NBA, the discussion in the NBA about COVID, about vaccines, uh, where the league stands. Uh, Cassie, thanks for coming on. And how are you doing? Very well. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, I'm very glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I had a great time answering your questions. I always do. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's hope we can do that again. Yeah. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Um, a lot of NBA players uh, who aren't vaccinated, first of all, uh, the latest number is 95% of NBA players are vaccinated. And we'll get more into that, that number in a little bit. Uh, but some of the ones who are not vaccinated or who are hesitant about getting vaccinated have talked about their age, their fitness level. Uh, some of them have talked about having a, a prior infection uh, that, you know, they develop some resistance. And they have talked about, you know, maybe I don't need to get vaccinated for those reasons. And I, I think to some degree that's reasonable, right? We do know that younger people are less susceptible to severe outcomes uh, than older people. Uh, we do know that fitness level correlates with having less severe outcomes. We do know there is resistance from prior infection, but the recommendation is still for those people to get vaccinated. Uh, why is that? And what would you tell people who are resistant on those grounds? Yeah, I think there is... One clear delineation to make first, um, people who are still a little bit, you know, open to hearing more facts and who are more receptive to information, we kind of consider vaccine hesitant. Maybe they're not ready for it, but they're weighing their options or something like that. Other people might be vaccine resistant, which is absolutely not going to do whatever. I don't care what you tell me. Um, it sounds like a lot of people... For the most part, there's a greater proportion of people who are vaccine hesitant than resistant. Um, 
so hopefully we can, you know, you can sit and talk to those people and listen to what their concerns are to see where they're coming from. It sounds like when we talk about fitness level or age, people realize that they are, you know, less prone to a severe outcome than someone of the same age who may not have as great of a fitness level. Um, that doesn't mean that they won't have a severe outcome. Um, and it also doesn't mean that they don't exist as part of a community and a society. So even if you are someone who's in great shape and you take care of your diet and your health and you have very few comorbidities, um, which could be anything, by the way, a comorbidity is any any other underlying health condition, uh, you still have to recognize that you're part of a society and you're part of the community um, and you have the ability to be a vector, even if you're not very ill. Um, yes. What was the second part of your question? So, <laughs> so I, I, I hear you on that. And I think that yeah. uh, applies particularly to Jonathan Isaac of The Magic, uh, who I sincerely believe uh, when he says, love thy neighbor, that he means that and that means something to him. And that's why mm -hmm. I, I'd encourage him to focus on the spread. This is correct, right? That uh, vaccinated people are less likely to spread COVID than unvaccinated people, even if that person is young, uh, otherwise yeah. healthy and had a prior infection. Yeah, yeah, yes. Oh, yes. You asked about the prior infection. Yeah, prior infection. Um, you, we know that you have some antibodies from COVID after you or from any illness after you are naturally infected with that. Um, we don't know how long those antibodies will last and we don't know how to quantify your immune response to your illness. So if you had a mild case, you might have uh, less strong response in your antibodies um, and those may wane over time. So we can't tell if every different individual has a different case of COVID, how well those antibodies are going to um, react in the future to a reinfection or if those antibodies will even be effective against a different variant that's like cross-reactivity with a, with a different variant. You don't actually know if that will, um, how well those antibodies will, will kind of fight another infection. So if you do get vaccinated, we know that your immune response will be as good or greater, likely greater than if you were just naturally infected. Um, from actually having a case of COVID. And Jonathan Isaac sounded like he was a little bit more um, vaccine hesitant. Like he was very open and thoughtful the whole time that he was speaking. I was thinking, wow, yes, absolutely. I, I totally understand where you're coming from. And I fully expected him to say, and that is why I will be vaccinated. <laughs> he said, no, and that's why, you know, I, I'll take all the precautions I need to. There's other ways to protect myself. And, um, and he divulged that he was not going to be vaccinated yet and he was going to wait. Um, I think one thing where he's coming from is he, he sounds like he's hesitant and he wants to see how things sort of pan out. Um, one thing that we can discuss is just that, that in the U S alone, 200 million people have been vaccinated by now. And we have enough evidence from everyone who has been vaccinated to know that it is very safe. Um, and that, and that it will mount a better response um, than just being naturally infected. Um, and that it's safer than being infected and taking that risk and the risk for yourself and uh, um, the risk of spreading it. So, 
that, that's a very interesting point that uh, the the resistance from a prior infection m- might be, or probably, I don't want to uh, mischaracterize mm-hmm. it stronger if you had stronger symptoms, uh, because uh, Michael Porter Jr. on the Nuggets, maybe I'm inferring a little bit of how he said it, but I took uh, what he talked about of, hey, I had COVID twice. I know how my body reacted. I'd rather, it sounded like he was saying, I'd rather deal with that than mm-hmm. any potential things that come from the vaccine. And maybe there's a little uh, bit bit of something backward there, where if you had it, you're like, ah, having COVID's not so bad. Uh, maybe that means you're more susceptible uh, in the future if you do get reinfected uh, than somebody who had a, a bad case. And maybe that bad case would lead somebody to say, I don't want to get reinfected. This was terrible. Mm-hmm. And that person is more likely to get the vaccine. Yeah, people definitely, I think, based on their personal experience or experiences of their friends. Um, I would be, let me ask a clarifying question. I'm really interested when he said he was infected twice. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, right. Uh, the NBA has been pretty private about the, during the season, they released right. weekly, how many players had it. Uh, okay. Teams would rarely confirm who had it. Sometimes you might, they might say, we know the protocols, right? We know what the league's protocols are. And if you, uh, because the season played out uh, so much of it before, the vaccine was available. You know, we knew the league protocol was generally 10 to 14 days at least, right? If, if you were still testing positive, it could be longer. Uh, but if you tested positive, generally 10 to 14 days. And then the team might say, hey, we got a player out due to the health and safety protocols. They're going to be out 10 to 14 days. Uh, well, you can put two and two together and see who's not playing, right? So we have some okay. guesses of who had it, but I don't know exactly when he had it. If he actually had it twice, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know. And I, uh, I'm curious where you're where yeah. you're going with that. I'm well. I'm kind of thinking. There's two things that I'm thinking of. If he's saying he had it twice, did he actually have two separate infections? And depending on the time frame, it's unlikely. Um, but it's not. You know, I don't know if it's. It's. We don't see many of these reinfections. Um, so and NBA players, I would say, uh, generally had a high rate of having COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, by nature of their job, by nature of, I think, I, there's a lot of reasons you you could put behind this, but the, the numbers we know about during the season, it was a pretty high hmm. number of disclosed ones. And then there was also the period before the season started back up where there was no information. Uh, and you got to assume at least some players got it there. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's a high number. So I, I don't think it's necessarily that improbable that there's an NBA player who had it twice, even if it's a low number overall, because yeah. I think we're dealing with, you know, the, the NBA, there's uh, 17 roster spots on 30 teams, you know, multiply all that out. It doesn't strike me as crazy. There's somebody who actually had it twice. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder if he inferred or not him, but if any of us inferred that he had it twice because, you know, your health and safety protocols of being isolated for 10 to 14 days could re- could re- refer to either quarantine or isolation. So those are two different um, topics. Quarantine is when you sequester yourself away from others because you have been exposed to COVID. You're perfectly healthy. You, you, we, you, you meet up for lunch with a friend, they're sick. You find out that they're sick. So now you need to go seclude yourself for 14 days to see if you, um, get any symptoms. And the reason you have to do that, even though you feel healthy is because, COVID can spread pre-symptomatically. So you could be walking around for two days spreading COVID and not know that you already caught it from your friend. So that's quarantine. That can take 14 days. Then you have isolation, which is when you're sick and you actually, 
you know, you definitely have COVID, you've been tested, you're ill, you have to separate yourself from others for 10 days. Um, And then you also have to make sure that you have a resolution of symptoms. It's very common for people to test positive um, for COVID beyond the 10 days of isolation, because the RNA is still, it might still be multiplying, there might still be fragments of RNA in your system, but they're not viable. They're not actually replicating, you're not actually going to be able to spread them, they're not transmissible. So if someone's, so if someone was out twice, they could have been quarantined the first time and sick the second time or quarantined twice. Or, you know, I think the, the lowest on the list would be two, two reinfections in one season. That would be very quick because we, we think that, think that um, with natural immunity, you probably have a stable but waning immunity at, you know, somewhere around eight months out. So for him to be infected twice would be, would be interesting. Right. Not so it wasn't... It wasn't yeah. necessarily twice within the same season. Okay. Um, you know, obviously this, this extends back uh, to the NBA's previous season. They just played mm-hmm. the last season, obviously, uh, throughout the pandemic. Uh, and then the previous season was interrupted uh, by the pandemic. Oh. It was that long layoff. Um, so it could happen. It could have happened. One of them there, one of them more recently. It could have been, honestly, it could have been neither that were mm-hmm. during this most recent season. Like the, sometimes we have a guess of who had it because mm-hmm. of this 10 to 14 days, but not always. Interesting. Yeah. So um, we were saying that this this individual is basically saying, I don't care because I've had it twice and I'm fine. Well, see, I don't want to put words in his mouth. What he said okay. was what, what he said was it was a little broader than that. I'm doing some inferring here. Uh-huh. What he said was, I ha- I'm concerned about the effects of the vaccine and oh, okay. I've had, generally and I've had COVID twice and I know what that is. OK, um, now, I think it's some of the known versus unknown, which is something I want to ask about real quick to tie yeah. a bow on this. Yeah. By my count, from what the NBA has released, from new, what news reports were, and doing my very best uh, to not double count. Uh, so I'm sure I'm missing many, 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 because uh, it's only one since like the end of May. Uh, I have 180 cases of COVID players or cases of coronavirus uh, from NBA players uh, total throughout the pandemic. And... I think that's missing a ton uh, because of the time the NBA was in a hiatus the previous season uh, because it's only counting one uh, since May uh, because the season has ended. Uh, teams got eliminated from the playoffs. Their seasons ended at different mm-hmm. points. Um, the only one is Bradley Beal revealed uh, that he has had COVID. He said within the last 60 days, uh, we'll come back to him in the timeline on that. But, but I do want to ask him this, this fear of the unknown versus the known, because mm-hmm. I think this is a common thread. Uh, Trey Burke talked uh, more explicitly about this. I think Jonathan Isaac on the Magic talked generally about this. The idea that we don't know the long-term effects. And I think that's true, right, of the vaccine. We don't know the long-term effects uh, because this specific vaccine hasn't existed for a super long term. Uh, it's, a, it's a new thing. And uh, some of the technology, obviously, some similar vaccines, some of these things have existed longer. Uh, but this specific vaccine, we don't know the long-term effects. And when I hear that, I just... I think these people are, are really messing up the risk reward because we don't know the long-term effects of COVID either. And, mm-hmm. and may, I'm going to make this question two parts. It's not just long-term, it's short-term too, right? I, I got the vaccine. I didn't feel great for a day, uh, but I'd rather have that than chance COVID and maybe not feeling great for whatever, right? Um, I think there's a focus on the short-term and long-term negative effects of the vaccine or potential negative effects of the vaccine and maybe uh, not the right degree of attention on the 
short-term and long-term effects and potential effects of contracting COVID. Mm -hmm. um, what would you tell the players viewing it that way? Hmm. Um, I understand that known versus unknown kind of thought process. When someone doesn't know, then they don't want to jump in head first. Like you can't be upset about that. You know, like I understand that you're concerned about it. Um, what, what I would think, well, actually, this is a one short analogy that I learned from, um, a physician. He said, we have the recipe to make the vaccines, right? We know every in separate ingredient is completely safe. It's kind of like, we know how to make banana bread, and now we're replacing the banana with pumpkin, and now we know how to make pumpkin <laughs> bread. It's very, it's very oversimplified, and that physician admitted that. It's completely oversimplified. But the point is that we know that each piece of this is safe. We've used similar technology before. We've been researching mRNA technology for a long time. And really, the mRNA technology in a vaccine cuts out certain, it actually almost like skips a step and we can get into that later, but it, it actually cuts out more work for your body and it gives you a, a shortcut to the same, if not more effective um, immunity without as much happening in your body. So it's, we know that each ingredient and each part of this is safe to use and completely effective, if not one of the most effective vaccines that we've had. So we haven't seen similar situations having long-term effects, long-term negative effects. So why would we see long-term negative effects with this? Now, of course, we can't look into the future. So like, you're right, you can't say one way or another because we haven't experienced it. Um, but it's very well researched and it's very, and they've, you know, everyone's heard this already, but it's very well researched and it's deemed to be very safe. And I agree with you that there's a risk benefit um, there, when you're taking the risk of acquiring COVID, you're taking a risk of just annihilating your lung cells and your kidney cells and causing neurological damage and all those things. But when you have someone who's between a rock and a hard place, or they feel that they're between a rock and a hard place, you have someone who is scared of COVID, but is also scared of the vaccine. Like coercion doesn't really help. Like telling the same facts over and over about, yeah, I promise it's safe, doesn't really help because we've heard it all a million times. And reinforcing myths or myth busting doesn't really help because it almost adds weight to it. So you kind of just have to listen and see where each person's concern is. And the best thing is maybe to have someone that they trust talk to them about it because, you know, not everyone wants to listen to someone like me because I'm going to say, kind of the same stuff over and over. I obviously I think it's safe and um, it's going to get us out of this. Right. Right. I mean, I, I agree with you on all of that. It's um, it's tricky. Um, I a hundred percent. The first thing is to, to listen to people who are hesitant and see what their concern is. Uh, I am a believer that a lot of people, as they listen out uh, the vaccine's very appealing. It keeps people safer. It keeps people around them safer. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have a breakthrough case of COVID somehow, it, it, it reduces your chance of severe outcomes. Mm -hmm. uh, 
in some ways, it's a very easy sell. I look at somebody like Kent Bazemore, uh, who is now on the Lakers, was on the Warriors uh, as the vaccine was coming out. And he said, oh, I'm not going to get the vaccine. I do everything I can to strengthen my immune system. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I mean, that's good that you do that and they'll probably help you. But the vaccine also strengthens your immune system. And he yeah. did end up getting vaccinated. And it doesn't surprise me that somebody who says, I do everything I can to strengthen my immune system would eventually want to get the vaccine. Um, but there are some players who just don't, uh, or maybe they're the outright, I'll never get it that you talked about earlier. Maybe they're hesitant, but even more hesitant. Uh, the NBA is up to 95% of players being vaccinated. Uh, I'm curious, what do you think about that number? 95%. Is is that, is that good? Is that, that's, that's great. It's better than, um, the general population. Um, it's, it's, it's a very high number. Um, what you, what you can't fall into is not you personally, but generally what we can't fall into when we're looking at 95% vaccination is that, oh, wow, the NBA is 95% vaccinated. So they must be safe. Every person in there has a family and friends and goes to the grocery store and goes to doctor's appointments or whatever. But the, the point being, they're part of the community. And the community is what has sustained transmission. So that 95% is fantastic. That's such a high number. That's great. But they don't exist in their own secluded population. They exist in the community. Um, when when you have uh, a group of people that, you know, some people want to say, like, we can, that, that might be high enough for herd immunity or something like that. That's, that that's a very difficult thing to nail down. Um, like I said, that 95% is just those individuals. That's a very select population. If you put them in the general population, the general population in the U.S. is only 55% fully vaccinated and 65% or something like that um, has at least one dose. So there is no herd immunity yet or community immunity as we call it to a population immunity um, that doesn't exist. And when you see something this virulent, which is just like this, this nasty, I guess, um, that can transmit so quickly, if it's introduced to a population that has a majority vaccination, but like pockets of unvaccinated individuals, it will find those, you know, it will travel to those unvaccinated individuals. They're the most susceptible. So it's almost like those pockets of unvaccinated individuals are, are, are at such high risk of becoming sick. Um, it's kind of like um, the measles vaccine, the measles outbreaks that we had. We almost lost our um, measles, like, how do I want to say it? We we were almost no longer eradicated of measles in the U.S. a couple years ago because so many people didn't want to vaccinate against it. Um, and what was happening was measles would be introduced into a population and people would say, well, my child or so-and-so doesn't need to be vaccinated because all the other kids are. <laughs> but what they didn't realize is that there were areas and in, in schools that would accept you if you were non-vaccinated and there were areas in schools that wouldn't accept you if you didn't have the vaccine yet. So people would send their kids to schools that would accept them unvaccinated. Well, when measles is introduced to the U.S. from a traveler or from wherever, um, 
it would it and it was introduced into that pocket of unvaccinated children it would just it would just transmit uncontrollably so it's sustained transmission in that population so obviously um it's that that 95% is excellent the 5% is still highly susceptible and they're part of the community and so the the 95% might be great while you're on the court but it doesn't account for the rest of their lives so Beyond the 5% that is not vaccinated, mm-hmm. uh, there are also plenty of players, Draymond Green today, LeBron James supporting him, plenty of others who are vaccinated, uh, who also are very much saying it's an individual decision. Mm-hmm. I don't want to yeah. pressure any of my teammates. I don't think it's appropriate to do. I don't think it's appropriate to talk about. It's a private matter. Uh, I think there's some vaccinated players who won't even say they're vaccinated, uh, say it's private. Um, you know, everybody has their different reasons for that. Um, and you know, I, I respect that uh, to a large degree. I also think it would be helpful if they would talk about uh, mm-hmm. why they're vaccinated, but not that that's their obligation, but it could be a helpful thing. Damian Lillard and the Trailblazers uh, has done that. Um, if you were talking to NBA players, is it worth, inc- you know, if you if you had an audience and they said, you know, hey, you know, we're bringing you to talk to a team. There's, there's well, we can take by the numbers. Maybe there's one unvaccinated player. Uh, maybe everybody else is vaccinated, a couple of them were skeptical, uh, but they just want to know how to go forward, how to best handle this. Is it worth trying to encourage vaccinated players? Um, and people have done this through through their columns, through, uh, it's not just media, it's fans. Like There are a lot of people who want these NBA players to, to speak out uh, pro-vaccine mm-hmm. uh, or to even pressure their teammates. Is it worth doing that? Or is that just, you know, hey, these people got the vaccine, they are helping uh, the community in this way, and that's enough. And, uh, you know, there, there doesn't need to be that pressure. Yeah. Um, that's super, that's a interesting question. So pressure is different than putting pressure on your teammate is different than offering information on, I mean, not in a, not, I don't know how to say it. Pressuring is different. Pressuring, it does not work. That's the coercion that I'm talking about. That's not going to help anyone, it's going to, people are going to stick their, you know, heels in the mud further if you're just coercing them and saying, no, you need to get it because I did. Um, What is helpful is being a leader. You absolutely can speak out and say, I did get it. You know, everything's fine. I did it for my family. All of that. That's fantastic. That is good leadership. I, um, I do completely agree that nobody has to tell anyone else whether they got vaccinated or not. Like, you don't have if you didn't get vaccinated, you don't have to say whether you're vaccinated or not. If you did get vaccinated, you don't have to say whether you got vaccinated or not. It's a private matter between you and your um, physician and your employer if your employer is requiring it. And um, you don't you know, that's not something that they have to offer. If they do want to offer that they did get vaccinated and they're happy they did and everything's going fine, then that's great. Um that's a great way to get people to feel a little more relieved if someone they trust got it. Um, but it's it's not necessary. I think you're perfectly entitled to keep your private information to yourself. Um, it's kind of between you and your healthcare and your um, H- your employer, your HR, basically, if, if your employer is recommending that you get it. Here's where it gets 
more complicated though. Uh, New York City and San Francisco have uh, local requirements that home players be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kyrie Irving on the Brooklyn Nets, it seems, is not vaccinated or at least wasn't as of last check. Andrew Wiggins uh, on the Warriors, same boat. Um, what do you think of, of regulations like that? Um, I think to a degree, they're silly. Um, if the Nets play at the Warriors in San Francisco, Kyrie Irving can play in that game and Andrew Wiggins can't. And if the Warriors play at the Nets, then it's vice versa. And I think uh, that might hurt the credibility. Um, I'm not sure why the laws are that way, where visiting players are exempted. If it's pressure from leagues or uh, worry about uh, the scope of the law being overturned. I know you've done uh, work with the city of Detroit. I don't know if it's crossed into this area mm-hmm. at all of, of what's feasible, of, of what can be done. Um, you know, if there was some more consistency in these laws, okay. But I, I just, to a certain degree, I just think the inconsistency makes uh, it all look pretty silly. Um, what do you think? So is the um, is the law saying that if you're a resident, you must be vaccinated? So a resident team, I believe, is how it's worded in New York. And I believe San Francisco is similar. So essentially what it says is uh, if you're going into this arena, uh, you know, there's a large gathering, you, you, you got to show proof of vaccination uh, with an exception for visiting professional athletes, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, is that coming from the city government? It is. Mm-hmm. But what's less clear is, um, you know, what is influencing that, right? Whether they just think this is best or, you know, wh- why put in that exemption, right? Mm-hmm. Like, who, who, I don't know. Um, yeah. And if you have to, if, it, if you need that exemption to have the law, is it better just not to have that law? Because look at 95% of vaccinated. The NBA has very stringent testing requirements, uh, for for the unvaccinated players also, right? There's, there's a lot of safeguards in place. The NBA doesn't want its schedule interrupted by coronavirus again. Yeah, I think um, there's a couple things there. One, um, if a city or a state implements like a vaccine requirement that is actually within their power, um, there is like a 1905 uh, court case Jacobson versus Massachusetts that this guy Jacobson did not want to get a small box vaccine. And um, he basically posed a risk to his community because he wouldn't get one. And the court ruled that um, you're part of the society and each individual has to give some, they have to give back to the community somehow for the common good and and that he was required to get the smallpox vaccine. And that's been upheld by the Supreme Court for 100 years. Um, and they so they do have police powers. They can implement a vaccine mandate if it's within reason. Um, the question about the visiting players is difficult. Um, what I might hypothesize is happening there is that there are basically incre- there may come and I don't know cuz I, I, all I know about this right now is what you're telling me about this this visitation rule um but it it sounds like there might end up being incremental increases in consequence for non-vaccinated individuals um you don't you know the best thing to do is incentive um if incentives aren't working and there's not really any incentive, then they might give some consequence like not being able to play in a home game. 
Um, they don't want to disincentivize someone from coming to play with them, but uh, that might, you know, it doesn't really, it might increase that the consequence might increase to no players can play if they're not vaccinated. And then no teams can play if they have players who aren't vaccinated or something like that. That's just my hypothesis. Sometimes you start out with something that's very inconvenient. And, you know, this is, we're trying to, we're trying to make it very obvious that it's important that you get vaccinated, but we're going to let it slide for now. And then increase to, okay, if you're not vaccinated, you can't play. And okay, if you have players that aren't vaccinated, we can't risk your team coming here because we don't know what the transmission is in your team. You know, some something like that. I don't I don't know exactly um, how that's going or what the details are of that, but sometimes people will use incre- increasing consequences to get people to finally get the vaccine because they can't live they can't live that way, you know. It, 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 it's very inconvenient for these players to be eating in a different room or staying home only or all those, all the things that are put on the unvaccinated players. It's very inconvenient for them. Right. Um, yeah. To me, that's the best selling point of the vaccine. It's our ticket back toward normal it's, yeah. uh, to a degree, your individual ticket back toward normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and who, who doesn't want that? Um, especially with everything you got into of all the evidence that it's safe. Um, Do you have any sense? Uh, This is a tough one. I know Um, (laughs) it's two places, uh, New York, San Francisco. uh, Any sense of, do you think other cities will, will implement this, right? These these are the ones who've done it so far, but there's no reason any other city with NBA teams couldn't put in a similar ordinance at some point during the season. No, I think, um, I think it's definitely possible that, that cities might do that. I think it depends on their, it depends on a few things. Um, and this is just what I would take into consideration if it, if it were me making the decision. Um, what is your rate of vaccination, like vaccine uptake in your community? So how many people have been vaccinated so far? Um, what is your community transmission? What does the percent positivity look like in your area? Is there sustained community transmission where it's difficult to get it under control? You're, you're having outbreaks everywhere. Um, is that happening in your area? Um, you know, what is, what does it look like out and about? Are you trying to use this vaccination requirement as a means of keeping your businesses open? Because that's very reasonable. I mean, you know, not, I'm not saying that's almost a personal opinion, but it's, it's reasonable to think that someone would want to keep the businesses open. And the only way to do so is to use the most effective of our layered approaches, which is vaccination. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, and yeah. it's much more comfortable with that when the business decides that for themselves. Right? Absolutely. Uh, I would which, always rather these businesses and independent, um, independent owners just, you know, they, they can put that in on their own. And, and that would be a way to lead your community too, is to do it on your own. So the government doing it, people don't like that heavy handed kind of uh, mandate from a government. Um, so if individuals and businesses can do it on their own, then that's great. And I think the NBA would love to have a vaccine requirement, right? Um, because this is, this is how the league makes money. Uh, you want yeah. to be able to have games and to do that. Uh, if everybody's safe and healthy and free of COVID. That's how you put on games. That's how you make money. Uh, the players union fought that. The players union said no way to a vaccine mandate. Obviously there are some 
protocols for vaccinated players um, and 95% want them or, 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 or end up getting the vaccine. Um, but the union fought off a vaccine mandate. Okay. Um, if you're the NBA, knowing that, knowing that's a non-starter, maybe you can get some concessions on some other things. Uh, what's the best way to handle this season? Uh, you, you can't just tell the unvaccinated players they can't play. Uh, mm-hmm. may, maybe San Francisco and New York did you a solid by applying a little bit of more pressure uh, to players on teams there. Uh, but how do you, how do you get through this season? Uh, you know, because the NBA and I want to keep this through a very clear lens. Uh, the NBA is trying to make money. That is their goal. The mm-hmm. NBA, it, it's not so much about keeping all the players safe or anything like that. They might say that. Um, and that obviously overlaps with making money, mm-hmm. but how, how can the NBA make the most money and get through this season when there are these 5% of, or so of players, uh, who aren't vaccinated right now? Um, yeah, I know. I mean, how costly is it to have to cancel a game because three or four of your best players are in quarantine or isolation? I mean, that's a big deal. So yeah, I get it. Um, how do you handle it? I mean, what did we do before we had vaccines? We do the two best things that we have besides vaccination, which is masking and distancing. That's kind of what you can fall back on. Um, so we can't distance during a basketball game, right? Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, so that one's, I mean, you can do distancing outside a basketball game, but that one's out during a game. Right. Yeah. So what are you left with? vaccination (laughs) right right that's what they're falling on right that's what they're saying is that if we can't do those two things then here's your option and it's actually the best option but all of them are a layered approach like i think it was isaac who said um i'll do the other things that will keep me safe i'll do my distancing and i'll do my masking well no one does either of those 100 percent and um but but vaccination's not 100 percent either so you do a layered approach. You get vaccinated. You wear a mask when you're indoors with big crowds or with others. You know, um, we know what some things are. I mean, how re- how reasonable would it be? Which I know it's going to be unreasonable, but how reasonable would it be to host these basketball games outdoors? Because that can that can help. You know, you're much more ventilation can help. We know that when you're exercising and you're playing basketball, you're in that guy's face. You're breathing heavily. There's far more particle transmission happening because you're exhaling with force you're yelling you're spitting you're sweating whatever um so what can you do in the nba i think that's kind of it sounds like that's what they're falling back on they're like well we can't mask well we can't distance well we still want to have a season so you guys mind getting vaccinated (laughs) (laughs) right um one thing i i wrote about is that um you know these are not equal measures, right? I, I hear you on multi-layered approach, but it's mm-hmm. not as if masking and, well, distancing is a little different, but it's not as if masking and vaccination are like, ah, I don't want to get the vaccine, so I'll just wear a mask all the yeah. time. Like, that's not nearly as protective. But can you con- contextualize, I don't know, through numbers or example or description, but how much more effective is uh, the vaccine at preventing the spread of coronavirus? So much more effective. I I don't know if that I can like quantify it for you, but I can tell you, obviously, if you distance, you know, and you're outdoors, like that's your lowest chance of transmission. Um, We know that droplets, if it's a, if it's droplet situation, you're laughing, talking, whatever, it'll go six feet, maybe 10 feet 
you know, you, you kind of be in the area where you might have some transmission at six to 10 feet. Um, if you, if you mask, that is a way of doing what we call source control. So the source of the infection, the source of the transmission is sort of like your mouth and nose. Cause you're exhaling through your mouth and nose. So the mask is going to be a source control for you. If you're talking, meaning that it's going to block a lot of droplets from exiting straight towards the person. It's not perfect. There's gaps on the side. It's not an N95, which is going to stop you from transmitting almost everything. Um, it's source control. And then if the other person was wearing a mask too, then they're able to do a little bit of filtering of the air that they breathe. So that there's a little bit of droplets left on the outside of the mask while they breathe in the fresh air. Um, if you take a, ma- if you were to take the source control and the air filtering from a mask, basically the source control is more effective. So say you block 50% of, and I'm get, I get this from JAMA, the Journal for American Medical Association. They uh, they can quantify it and say that if the if your mask blocks hypothetically 50% of the particles that you're breathing out and your friend's mask is going to block 25% of the particles that they're breathing in, your friends and your, say you're sick, your friend's protection by both of you wearing a mask is like a 75% reduction. It's the sum of the two um, reductions. It's a 75% reduction in their exposure. So they're getting 75% less exposure to the droplets. So they've significantly reduced their their um, exposure that way. But you can't do that in the basketball um, court. Vaccination is going to give you a 95, 95% efficacy. Um, like obviously with the new Delta variant that's circulating, it's 90% of the infections in the U S right now. Um, it, it has some ability to still transmit among people who are vaccinated, but it's not, it's not as, it's not as likely, it's not as likely there is, I'm going to read something from the CDC that puts it much better than I can say it. They say the risk of SARS-CoV-2 infection in fully vaccinated people can't be completely eliminated as long as there's continued community transmission of the virus. They say that early data suggests infections in fully vaccinated persons are more commonly observed with the Delta variant than other SARS-CoV-2 variants. However, data show fully vaccinated persons are less likely than unvaccinated persons to acquire SARS-CoV-2. And infections with the Delta variant and fully vaccinated persons are associated with less severe outcomes. Infections in the Delta variant and vaccinated persons potentially have reduced transmissibility than infections in unvaccinated persons, although additional studies are needed. So it's kind of like what Um, I think one of the players was saying he was kind of very adamant that it didn't matter if you got vaccinated because it still was transmissible, but it, it, you're less likely to, to be infected. You're less likely to transmit. Even if you do become symptomatic, your viral load is going to drop off faster. You have a shorter period of being, um, infectious. So far and away, vaccination is, is the best protector, but then, of course, since it's not a hundred percent, you add the layered approach with the masks. Then you block your sort, you block with source control and with air filtration, and then with distance, you kind of remove anything lingering. It's like the Swiss cheese approach, right? 
I think uh, that was that was Bradley uh, Beal, if I'm not mistaken, who, yeah. who talked about that. And I think uh, one of the so yeah, so it's good to clear up that you know when he says, "Oh, if you're vaccinated, you can still get COVID." Sure, that's true. You're also less likely to get COVID. That's also significant. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's anything an NBA player said uh, about this that frustrated me more. And I don't necessarily blame Bradley Beal because I've been frustrated by this kind of talk from a lot of corners. <laughs> uh, people dismissing, uh, people over-relying on cases, uh, mm-hmm. coronavirus cases, and, well, you can still get COVID. Uh, and even if you acknowledge that the odds are better uh, of not getting COVID once you're vaccinated, uh, cases, 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 and Bradley Beal just brushes off like hospitalizations and death as if those aren't big deals. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I had a question there because I, no, I, yeah, just you know, discussion. Uh, it, it, if we get COVID to a point where the hospitalizations and death are down, uh, then it's not as big of a deal, right? That's why this is a big deal, right? It's not just that people are getting it. It's not just that it's so contagious. It's that the outcomes are so severe also Yeah. Uh, when people get it. It's the combination. There's four other, there are, well, there are several other coronaviruses that infect humans. There's the original SARS from like 2001. There's... MERS-CoV, which is something that transmits from humans to animals and then has low transmissibility between humans. So it's 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 not as big of a deal. Both of those are very, very high mortality. We have SARS-CoV-2, which we're going through right now. But what a lot of people don't realize is there's four coronaviruses that circulate every year that just cause a common cold. So what if we could bring COVID down to that level? Then we could be done with this. We'll be be over it. You know, I mean, and that's not true. We're not going to be over it. I can't say that. But yeah, the, the, the most wonderful thing about the vaccine is that you don't suffer those symptoms. You don't work. You, I mean, I can't say you don't, you have a far less likelihood of suffering those symptoms. You have a far less likelihood of hospital hospitalization or death. You're not going to completely destroy your lung cells as you would, um, if you know, as you might, if you got COVID, there, there are people, I think there's been 19 cases um, of people who have had double, double or single lung transplants, because even though they were completely recovered from COVID in, you know, all of their other, in all the other ways, they are suffering from pulmonary fibrosis, which is basically just scarring of the lungs from COVID. So they're getting lung transplants. Um, what if you never had to even cross that bridge? That would be great. That's why we should get vaccinated so we don't have to have these hospitalizations and death. I mean, even if there was some transmissibility, it would be low enough and it wouldn't be sustained community transmission any longer. Or even if there was some sustained community transmission, we could reduce it to just having a very mild set of symptoms. And some people who do experience mild symptoms um, from SARS, from COVID might say, I thought it was allergies. I just thought it was allergies. I just had a headache. Or nope, I didn't have any symptoms. It's something that I experienced when I was working um, on the on COVID. Uh, the, I didn't have any symptoms at all. I was fine. Okay, did you have a headache? Yes. Did you have um, nausea? Yes. But I was fine. I'm like, well, those are symptoms. So you had mild symptoms. That would be wonderful if we could get everyone to just if if it's going to be part of our lives, then if we could get it so that it's not something that unnecessarily takes our family members away from us and 
you know, 700,000 people in the U.S. have passed so far from it. And there's been just an enormous amount of hospitalizations and people who are suffering from what they used to call long COVID, like post-acute COVID uh, sequelae packs. It's like the people who are suffering from racing heart or brain fog or, you know, just difficulties from that. We had a friend when we spoke over the summer who can't smell still, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, and that's a very common thing. Um, Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum. Oh, go ahead. No, that's it. Uh, Jason Tatum on the Boston Celtics last season, um, you know, after recovering and being able to return to play, uh, had trouble breathing for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's a pretty big deal for an NBA player. Um, I feel like his example doesn't come up enough when players talk about, well, I'm worried about the short-term, long-term effects of, uh, you know, uh, the vaccine. Well, there's a player right in front of you who who had some tough long-term effects from having COVID. Um, You know, you can't lose sight of that. Uh, One other thing Bradley Beal talked about, and I suspect he's not alone among NBA players, uh, the number he used was 60 days. He said he was within 60 days of, or near 60 days, is a little unclear, uh, of uh, when he recovered from his infection. Mm -hmm. And so he said he he followed up a little bit from the initial comments that made most of the headlines, um, but talked about how, you know, he's open to the vaccine. He did say he's open to the vaccine. Okay. Um, and said, you know, even if I want it right now, I, I've been told by like doctors, don't get it right now uh, because it's too soon after uh, when I had COVID. What's the latest on yeah. uh, how long after an infection somebody should wait and how many doses they should get if they've already been infected? How many doses yeah. of the vaccine? Good questions. Um, uh, your eligibility for getting the vaccine is just to, ha- if you've had COVID, nat- a natural infection from COVID is just you just have to be out of your isolation period. You just have to have resolved symptoms and 10 days from the time of your symptom onset. So the, the waiting 60 days, I don't think that's like a, for, I'm would have, I mean, someone might correct me, but I don't think that's a formal. Um, yeah. So it, wa- it wasn't clear if he was saying it was a 60 day window or yeah. if he was saying it's been 60 days since I had it. And that yeah. exists in some window. Does it depend at all on, on the treatment? somebody has could that affect what the oh i think what i think i don't know what conversation they had but it it sounds like maybe what they were saying is that you know you you have pretty strong antibodies for the first 60 90 days after infection or after vaccination Hmm. so after that we really don't know so maybe they were saying it's, you know, wait a, wait a little longer until you're more susceptible. I'm not sure exactly, but that's the, the eligibility for vaccination is just that you finish your 10 days of isolation from the time of symptom onset. So, or from the time of your first um, positive uh, test. And it, it seems like this has evolved or maybe is still evolving. What's, what's the best thinking right now on how many doses of the Uh, either Pfizer or Moderna uh, for somebody who's recovered from COVID. Yeah, that's, it's pretty, it's, it, now that we're recommending booster shots for people over 65 or with immunocompromised um, immune systems, it's starting to get a little fuzzy for everyone. But um, if you get the Johnson and Johnson is one shot period, right? Good, good to go. And the the beauty of that is that you don't have to have people come in for follow up. So they're fully vaccinated with just the one dose. Um, 
Pfizer and Moderna, both are two doses, regardless of whether you've been infected naturally or not. So there's no change to the protocol regarding how many doses to get based on your past infections. You should still get the two. Um, The booster shots are now something that we're recommending for certain populations. Um, And that is because people who have compromised immune systems, you know, it's, it says it in the name, you have a compromised immune, you're immunosuppressed, meaning that your immune system is not going to be able to build the same antibodies that someone who has a, who is immune competent can. So if you get vaccinated and your body tries to build the antibodies against what the vaccine is telling them to um, build antibodies against, they might not have the same robust reaction that you or I would, and they might need a third dose just to get the antibody levels up to closer to what an immune competent person would have. So it's, it's, there, it's a different range for different people, but if you've been infected, it doesn't matter. You still get the two doses. Some people have been looking into whether one dose is worth it or not, and they're trying to quantify antibodies for that, but we really don't have a very clear idea of being able to quantify antibodies and determine um, when you're how immune you are, how far out. Like we, we don't really know that yet. So when people say I've been infected, I don't need it. I'm, I'll just get an antibody test and see if I am immune. It, it, th- those don't really equate. Just getting an antibody test is just saying, do you have the presence of antibodies? It doesn't tell you if you have a strong enough antibody reaction to be able to neutralize infection if it comes in. Gotcha. Makes sense. It does. Okay. Um, one other thing Jonathan Isaac on The Magic talked about was, Tim, it was a little silly that, oh, I can go play a basketball game mm-hmm. and breathe heavily nearby these people, but I want to like sit with my teammates on the plane afterward. Can't do it. I got to be in my own section. I want to go out to dinner with them. Can't do it. Uh, those are the NBA's protocols. And the science that you've shared uh, today has been very helpful in understanding this. It's the basis of all of this. I also believe these things don't work if people don't buy in, right? Mm-hmm. It's got to be communicated well. It's got to be sensible. It's got to be logical. It's got to be something people buy into. And I'll give the credit, a lot of credit to the NBA's unvaccinated players. Uh, I can't speak for everyone. We're still starting on this. But a lot of them have talked about, I'll follow the rules, right? I'm not, I'm not denying COVID. I'm not, I just don't want the vaccine for whatever reason. But they're going to follow the rules designed to keep themselves and the people around them safe. Uh, personally, I think the vaccine would be more effective. You go back to normal and that seems much more appealing to me, but I give credit for, for following these rules. I also kind of agree with Jonathan Isaac to, to a degree that especially if he's the only unvaccinated player on the team, uh, maybe it's a little silly that he can play a basketball game and then has to sit in a different area of the plane. And, uh, maybe that rule's not worth it. Maybe that just, uh, undermines the NBA's credibility on how they're handling this. And maybe it makes it look like they're punishing unvaccinated players rather than just putting in what's necessary. I I do believe that whatever protocols unvaccinated players should have should be the bare minimum necessary. Mm -hmm. Uh, They should have just as much normality as possible uh, within the context of the NBA trying to make money. Uh, So what do you think about Jonathan Isaacs? He didn't even complain because he said he'd do it. Complaints Mm -hmm. too far. But Jonathan Isaac raising the issue uh, that it's a little weird. He can play a basketball game with somebody and then can't sit next to him on the plane ride home. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I mean, you can, we already discussed that distance and masking and vaccination are the best, um, you know, layers of protection against acquiring COVID. 
And if you're playing basketball in close contact, you've removed all of those layers. So I can't speak to what is on the court. I mean, I'm telling you what the three ways to protect yourself are and that they're not existent when they're on the court. Um, But, you know, there is a little bit of risk reduction and exposure reduction that they're doing by saying you probably shouldn't eat next to each other. Um, Maybe go sit a little farther away in the bus or whatever. They're basically trying to create that distance and the masking and the layered protection when they don't absolutely have to be, you know, right in front of each other. An exposure is if you are within six feet for 15 minutes or more, regardless of your masking. So, because we know that it's not hundred percent. So they're probably trying to reduce that exposure entirely. And I mean, I am not an NBA player, so I don't know how much time you would spend directly breathing into another person's face during the game. Um, But if they can reduce the risk by the rest of the time that these people are traveling together, being separated, I mean, I understand that. Um, They're obviously like acknowledging, or maybe they're not acknowledging, maybe they're just turning a blind eye to the fact that you don't have those layers of protection on the court. And that's why they want you to be vaccinated because they can't provide those layers of protection on the court. Right. I mean, right. Coming back to it, the, the NBA makes money on yeah. on playing games. So they'll take the risk there. There's no money in a plane ride or teammates getting a meal together. So yeah, mm-hmm. maybe that's a place to mitigate it. But I also think it might not be worth eroding the trust because I, I just don't know how much that is, especially when unvaccinated players are, are tested so regularly. Yeah. Um, so then maybe the pick other, and choose your battles. The other option is you go one of two ways. You drop all of the restrictions for the person who is unvaccinated and tell them, ah, whatever, come on in here. Or you tell them, well, you're not and vaccinated and we don't want to ostracize you, so why don't you just exclude yourself for now? There's two, you know what I mean? There's two mm-hmm. ways that they could go about it. So I think they're trying not to do either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it comes back to what you said about the incentives, right? You want to put in some incentive for being vaccinated, make it our ticket back to normal. Um, I'm not necessarily a fan of some of the uh, protocols. The NBA has gotten better of this, but the protocols for the vaccinated people just, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's show that incentive. Um, I really appreciate uh, Bradley Beal speaking out about what his issues are. Um, I obviously don't agree with everything he said, but mm-hmm. he talked about what, what he thought. Uh, Jonathan Isaac, especially, uh, I thought made a very coherent case. Again, I don't agree with everything he said. I agree with some of the things he said. Um, I, I appreciate him talking about this because I think engaging on this uh, is uh, uh, important. Uh, again, I look at Kent Bazemore as the great example of that. Um and I think it's not right just to dismiss these players. Um, I think it's worth hearing them out and engaging on what they say, right? Um, fortunately, we can't really do that with Kyrie Irving, uh, who said everything, including whether he's available for Nets games is a private matter. Can't really do that for Andrew Wiggins, who said, uh, you know, I'm fighting for what I believe in, but what he believes in is none of our business. Um, I wish we could, but I'm glad we had, got to have a discussion uh, about uh, the players who have talked about, Michael Porter Jr., Trey Burke also, Um I think these people are thoughtful in why they don't want to be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think these people are ignorant. I don't think, uh, well, I think they might be ignorant on some things, but I don't think they're ignorant people. I don't think, 
you know, I think everybody is entitled to make their own choice at the end of the day. Uh, their union fought for that. Um, mm -hmm. So they, they have that. And uh, in a lot of ways, that's good. Um, but we can talk about why we think vaccination is good and important. Uh, I've really enjoyed this discussion with you. One last thing. Is there anything I haven't asked you about that I should have? Hmm. I don't think so. I mean, no. I, I just, I think these, I agree with you. Like these players, I appreciate that they spoke out regardless of what, you know, whether I personally agree with them or not. They don't have to divulge their personal information about their health care to us. They don't have to. That's between their employer and their healthcare, you know, their physician. Um, but the fact that they did is great. I mean, they were, that's the only way you're able to have a conversation about it. And I think the people who did get vaccinated and speaking out about it is a great way to lead. And, um, but I don't think anyone's at fault for saying what they believe or not saying what they believe. I think that the people that put themselves out there, put themselves out there when they're usually talking about basketball and now they're sharing their personal lives. So obviously this is different for everyone and it's overlapping. Um, every, you know, COVID touches anything and everyone in your life. So good for them for coming out and saying what they have to say. And um, I just hope that we can relax everyone's nerves and provide something that fits them. And hopefully that is vaccination, but um, just like, It'll never be a hundred percent, but if we can get enough people vaccinated, we can return to some some type of normalcy. And I hope everyone realizes that it's safe and effective. Great, thank you for so much, uh, so much for coming on. Uh, hopefully, uh, we keep going back to toward normalcy. I'll see you at a bar again soon, and <laughs> I can uh, berate you with even more questions. And I hope to catch up on all the NBA news with you then.